represent the views of Radio Free Brooklyn, its staff, or management. Thank you for listening and have a dope day. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. How are God's blessed and highly favored people doing? Palm Sunday, the day that started the passion of the Christ. As most Christians look at this day going forward, Holy Week. And when I think about it, I know all of you are going to be preparing to go to service to get your palm. And I like to think of it as when God does something exciting in my life and I get 
butterflies in my stomach because I'm like just so elated of what's happening and in awe of him. That's my palm waving at him, waving at him saying Hosanna. But, you know, we each have our own way of identifying with how we praise the Lord. But of all the disciples that have recorded everything that Jesus did here on earth, John, the one that Jesus loved, explains the presence of Jesus the best to me. John shows Christ as being the Messiah, the Son of God, the living word who performs miracles and gives eternal life to all who believe in him. John's gospel, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about John's gospel, but I'm going to highlight certain parts of it which actually show the whole start of Palm Sunday, Holy Week, going into Easter. So John's chapter, when we, John's gospel, when we look at it, the first 11 chapters, chapter 1 to 11, speaks of everything that Jesus did on earth for people, roaming from city to city, from town to town, performing miracles, speaking the words of the Father, always expressing who he was and the purpose for which he was there. Three years worth of work John put in chapters 1 to 11. And as Jesus walked the earth, he would give them subtle hints of his death and what would happen and why. So if we start out with chapter 10, we start out with chapter 10 because To me, this is where he actually tells them the reason why he was there. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 16. And as always, I'm reading from the New King James, unless I state otherwise. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, Even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So if anybody ever had any doubts about what Jesus came to do and how everyone was included into the fold, he just told you right here. He told you right here. He was the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, meaning he came there for the Jews and he was known by his own. They knew that he was Jewish. The father knew him as he knew the father. And then he was laying down his life for the sheep. But when he says, and other sheep I have, which are not in this fold, he wasn't talking about the Jews that didn't believe in him. 
He was talking about other groups. He was talking about us. He was talking about the Gentiles, how he was saying how he was laying down his life, not only just for Jewish people, but for all people that God had created. And we will hear his voice because he says, and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd as we are today or as we should be today, one in accord, praising God, praising Jesus. So as we continue, it continues on saying in 17, therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So here, when we see in those scriptures, Jesus states that once again, he didn't only come for the Jews, but he came for Gentiles as well. He came to bring everybody back into the fold for the Lord and everything he's doing. He's doing it because he chose to do it. Right? So as we go into chapter 11, this is where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And in that scripture, you know, we talked about that from before, from before when I talked about being distracted and being busy. We know about Martha being busy, 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 telling Jesus to tell Mary to help her. But Jesus was like, no, she's taking on the best part, meaning sitting at his feet and hearing what he had to say. And we also find in chapter 11 of this, of John, the shortest verse that everybody always wants to quote, Jesus wept. But more than it being the shortest verse, the shortest scripture, even it might have been the shortest scripture, but John puts it in there, I'm sure, to let us know where he was talking about Jesus being the son of man, son of God. John put that in there so that we would know that Jesus was like us. Because a lot of it, if you just read what he did in his three years, you would be like, that man's not like us. He's doing things that we can't do. He's creating, he's performing miracles that we don't do. He's treating people the way we don't treat them. He's talking to people that we wouldn't even want to stand next to. He's giving away things to people that we would never even think to give to them. He's helping people that who cares what happens to them. He's not like us. But he was like us. And I believe John puts this in there purposely to let us know he was like us. Because before then, you had never heard anything about Jesus crying. Never. Whereas we would... We cry if we stub our toe. But the fact that Jesus' heart was hurt, and now mind you, his heart was hurt even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus back. He knew he had the power to resurrect Lazarus, 
But it was still the fact that my best friend is dead. And it was also him coming into reality thinking, I too am I'm going to have to do this. And although we know that he was the son of God, and yes, we know that he knew that he was going to be resurrected again, when that human side took over, it was, mm, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to leave them. For that moment there when he wept, I'm sure all that was coming into play into his heart. And then it says, then the Jews said, See how he loved him? Then they even saw, wow, look how close he was with Lazarus that he's crying. He's crying because he died. So fast forward into chapter 12, and then from 12 to 21, the chapters, they speak of the week of the Passover, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So from 1 to 11, it talks about three years' worth of work that Jesus did. But from 12 to 21, it talks about a week, a week of what Jesus did. So here, we're going to start with chapter 12, where we see in the beginning where Jesus is beginning to reveal more of his coming days ahead. So let's look back at that day, because that was the day that set everything off. And it begins in Bethany at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Who were, you know, they were preparing dinner because, you know, it was going to be Passover. They were going to make a feast. So they were preparing dinner. And this is where Mary poured the perfume on the feet of Jesus and wiped it off with her hair. And Judas complained because she had wasted the oil. He was like, you know how much money we could have got to that oil and paid, you know, and gave it to the poor. But we all know that. Judas was greedy and stingy, and he could care less about the poor, but he was just saying that because he was annoyed that Mary had used the oil and poured it on Jesus' feet, and then on top of it, wiped it off his feet with her hair. How dare she? Jesus told Judas at that point, and this is from John 12, 8, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So he was just letting him know, poor people, you're going to have enough time to sell oil to take care of them. Me, I'm only passing through here just now, but once. So we pick up the story as we move further on, starting with verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not just for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So let's think about that day. Not that it's said in the Bible, and not that I'm adding any words or anything to the story, 
But when I think about it, Jesus knew that his time was growing short. Lazarus was his best friend. He loved that family. Because remember, Jesus wept when he heard that Lazarus had died. Like I said, even though he knew he was going to resurrect him, he was there to see his best friend. He was there in the house to spend time with the people that he loved. Because Hebrews 4.15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So a lot of people quote that when they want to talk about, you know, the sins that we commit and Jesus didn't commit any sins. But I'm more so look at that also as he was like we felt. Everything that we felt, he felt. Everything. Everything. When I say everything, I can't stress enough. Everything he felt. That would be the only way that he could totally understand and stand in the gap for us today. How could you, if you don't understand how someone feels about something, how could you stand there and argue a case for them? You don't know exactly what it is that they're experiencing, but when he stands before God, when the enemy accuses us and he says, no, I understand why they did what they did, but here, look, I took, I paid the price for what they did. I paid the price for what is happening. That's how he's able to do that because he knows exactly what we felt or he knows exactly what we feel at the time when we're feeling it. So here it is. We have people flocking to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, right? Just like when you have people that they hear something, right? You could just imagine the chatter. Girl. We got to get over to Martha and Mary's house. Why? I heard that man Jesus is going to be over there. You know, the one that brought Lazarus back from the dead. What? That man? Yeah, let's go. We got to go. Because you know what? Come to think of it, I ain't seen Lazarus since he was raised from the dead. Girl, let's go. They having food over there too. Let's go. We're going to get to see Jesus. And we're going to get to see this new resurrected Lazarus. That's the chatter. So that's why everybody's running to the house now because they want to see what's going on. Not only are they going to get to see Jesus, the one that performed the miracle, but they're going to get to see a dead man walking around like he never died. So you know when all this was taking place, you know the chief priest wasn't too happy, right? And at this point, they were like, hmm. No one was really paying attention to Jesus. They, some You had your little pockets that was following him. But nobody wasn't really paying attention to him. But when they heard about him bringing people back from the dead. See, it's one thing to be able to feed people, to heal people. When you heal someone, everyone, okay, when someone gets healed, And it's even today sometimes, unless you really do understand the miracle working powers of God. When someone gets healed, 
today we're always like, oh, that's so wonderful. It never feels as important to others who are hearing it than to those who have received it. So think about it when he had the man at the pool of Bethesda, my favorite character to talk about. When he had him pick up his bed and walk, you know, everybody that was at the pool was destitute. They were all seeking the angel to trouble the water for one reason or another. They all had their own issue. So when Jesus told the man to pick up his bed and walk, that man was totally happy. He was happy. But the person watching him, yeah, they're happy for him, but they're still thinking about their own troubles that they're in, right? They're still thinking about, okay, well, I'm still waiting for the angel to trouble the water so I can step my foot into the water. So when we hear even today that, oh, they got cured of whatever it is they may have, whatever it is someone has, oh, they got cured. We're happy for them, yes, but it doesn't mean as much as to the person that received the cure. But if we hear a story that somebody was raised from the dead, uh, what? Oh, no, everybody is breaking their neck. They were, I can't believe it. I got to go see it for myself. You're not going to say, oh, so-and-so was cured of cancer. Oh, I can't believe it. I got to go see it for myself. No, you're going to call him and say, oh, girl, I'm so happy that you're better. Thank God that he touched you. That's what you're going to say. Or you're going to say it in your heart. Oh, thank God that she's cured. We get, you know, she gets to stay with us a little longer. But if you hear the story of somebody was raised from the dead and they're now having a feast in their house and the man that did it is there as well, (laughs) drop everything. We got to go to Martha and Mary house. That's what it was like. So the priests are hearing this. Now, mind you, all this is taking place because, you know, the Passover is about to start. All this is happening. The priests want the people in the in the synagogue. They want the people in the synagogue looking at them for direction, looking at them for guidance, hear what we have to say, reading the scrolls. And the people are like, we don't want to hear what you have to say reading the scrolls. We read them scrolls every year. We want to go over here and hear about this man that just raised this other man from the dead. This is the news. This is what's going on. Let's go see this Jesus. And then, of course, you know, when they're talking about him doing that, girl, but did you hear how he fed all the people when he had them sitting in the park when he was talking to them? And they only took the lunch from the boy. And then everybody ate and their bellies was full. And there was full death over. Let's go to Martha and Mary house. So... The priest was getting annoyed. It was like, hey, wait a minute. Now we got people really looking at Jesus because now he got this Lazarus dude that he done raised up from the dead. You know, we're going to have to get rid of both of them, Lazarus and Jesus. So if we get rid of both of them, then we don't have to worry about anybody telling the story or trying to retell the story. Nobody's going to believe anything that's going on. So here, this is what I, this is the point that I got from this. Because they didn't like Jesus anyway. They never liked him from just when he was feeding the people. They didn't like it when he was healing the people. But now he's raising people from the dead. Oh, heck no. He got to go. But this is what I get from this. Listen, don't always think that people don't make judgment calls about the company that you keep. Right? Because here it is. Lazarus, he just... He received the miracle. He received it. He didn't start anything. He was just brought back to life. So, of course, he's happy. His family's happy. But 
don't think that people aren't judging you because of the company that you keep. So this makes me ask you a question. Who are you hanging around lately? Have you thought about the company that you're keeping? Be it good or bad. I'm not to judge who's what's good or bad because in some eyes it could be good and in other eyes it could be bad. Just like here, in the people's eyes it was good. In the priest's eyes it was bad. But we all know why it was bad for them. But still, think about the company that you keep. And what are people thinking about the people that you're hanging out with? So as we go down... In chapter 12, we come to verse 23. And Jesus says to them, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces more grain. Now he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This is where John starts speaking about how Jesus was going to be the bridge to the eternal life because Jesus said it himself. He who loves his life will lose it, meaning that if you treasure everything that you have here on earth, and you know, Jesus had told people from before, follow me. He, that's how he got his disciples. He told them to drop everything and follow him. He told the rich young, the rich young guy, you know, sell all your riches and come follow me. But of course, he didn't want to. He didn't want to lose all his riches. He wanted to stay rich. Jesus says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So then Jesus continues to go, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now in the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man will be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Least darkness take over, overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light 
that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So when you think about that, I'm going to let you hold that for a minute. I'm going to take a music break right now, and then we're going to come back and discuss that. You've been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. It started with faith as small as a seed. Yeah, everything changed the day I believed. My sins washed away. These blind eyes could see. The gospel keeps on giving, and it won't end with me. The kingdom of God is living in me and in you. The kingdom of God is in
Father, you're the worthy one. You're the worthy one. You alone are the worthy one. There's no.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would K Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Now that little music interlude that we took started off with Bloom, Mitch Wong, and Linda Kofer. You're the Worthy One by HLE and In Your Will, Men of Standard. So now it comes to the part of the show that I call op-ed. But in op-ed, we're just going to continue with our story because this is just this is just too juicy to just stop now. And it is still all relevant in what's going on today. So where we left off, we left off saying that we left off with verse 27, where Jesus was telling them that his soul was troubled. His soul was troubled. And he said, Father, save me from this hour. So it wasn't in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus first asked to be saved from having to do what he needed to do, what he knew he came to do. See, there's one seat. What people have to understand, and even you as individuals, when you have a purpose that God has placed in your life, not always that you want to do it. And you've already heard my story. I don't have to rehash it again. It's not always that you have to do it. Or that you want to do it. No, let me rephrase that. You have to do it. For those of you who want to stay in alignment with him. But it's not always that you want to do it. It's not something that you want to do. Jesus did not want to. Although he knew when he left the throne and came here to walk amongst us. To be with us. To get to know us. To show us. To teach us. He knew he was going to have to die. But him being human, once you're in the flesh and he had the feelings and understanding and it troubled his soul because he didn't want to do it. He said, Father, save me from this hour. But then he said, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So just that quick, he was like, I don't want to do this. Take me from this. But then he remembered why he was there to begin with. Because remember, Jesus walking on earth, he had built up relationships. He had disciples that walked with him daily, that was with him every day, every night. You get close with these people. He was close with their families. He loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Those are people that he probably went to when he wasn't preaching to the masses. He probably just went to hang out with them just so he could just be himself and just have fun with them. So when you think about that, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to leave them, but he knew he had a purpose that he had to fulfill. And then the voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So God was just letting him know Don't worry, I got you. Just do as I have you to do. And then the people, of course, those who have have ears to hear, some people heard it as thunder, other people heard the voice of the angel. They said it was angels speaking to him, but they heard the voice. Others that didn't hear the voice that's not in tune, they only heard thunder. But Jesus then told them, The voice didn't come because of me. 
It came for you. Because he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what was set before him. And he was letting them know, you only have me for a little bit longer. So while you have me, get all from me that you can. Understand that you may become light as well. So now, when we think about the story of the passion of the Christ, and to me it just harkens back to when I think about it, never let the right hand know what your left hand is doing. And people always say that. And I was like, what does that mean? For the longest, I was always like, what does that mean? Never let the right hand know what your left hand is doing. But I'm like, but if they're my hands, they're supposed to work together. They're supposed to work together in order to get something accomplished, right? Because I have two hands. But you always hear people say, never let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Or never let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Either way, don't let one hand know what the other is doing. And this just reminds me when I think of this story, that came to my mind when I was reading this story over, that you can't tell everything to everybody. Right? You can't tell them because if you tell them ahead of time, they're either going to try to do something to stop you from doing it or talk you into not doing it or just try to put some type of things in your way to stop what it is that you want to do. And it came to me that it's always better to show them than to tell them. And that's what Jesus did. He told them, yes, but when they didn't believe him, he was like, I just got to show him. I got to show him as it was written. So even with some of the rulers, they believed, they believed in him. The rulers in the synagogue, some of them even believed in him what he said because they had read, they read the scrolls. They knew what was written on those scrolls and they knew that him walking on earth was fulfilling a lot of those scrolls. And he even told them, he went into the synagogue and told them, I'm here to fulfill this word. So some of them who wanted to believe, they were those, I say not some of them who wanted to believe. I'll say those who were true to what God was saying, those who were in tune, remember If you have ears, let them hear. Those who were in tune with God for the pure purpose of God heard what Jesus said. The others who only wanted to use what God was saying to create riches for themselves and notoriety for themselves was the ones that wanted to kill him because they were jealous of him, because in their mind, he was taking away the attention from them and putting it on him, not thinking, oh my goodness, God, you're right. The scrolls that we've been reading forever is coming to pass. No, they wasn't thinking that. They were thinking, how dare he walk around here and perform miracles? How dare he do whatever he's doing with these people? And taking their attention from us and putting it on him. Where the attention should have always been on him, him meaning God, and not them. Because had they been teaching the scrolls the correct way, the attention would have always stayed on God and never on them. But just like today, we have those that will talk the word, but want the attention on themselves. And it's not about them. It's not about them. It's always been about God. 
So now as we go down to, now as we go down to, that saying again, let me go back to this point that I was making. The rulers that believed in him, because of the Pharisees that they were in the synagogue with, they didn't want to say that they believed in him because they knew if they said that they believed in him, they would be booted out of the synagogue. And they loved the praises, like I said, that the simple man gave to them when they came to the synagogue rather than keeping the attention on God. And this is what we have to be so mindful of. When you're there, when you are fulfilling your great commission to spread the word into the world to others, be mindful of the praises of that the world gives you. If you are doing it to get attention for yourself because you want to be big up in the world more than being, I got to get this word out because this is what the Lord has directed me to do. It's just going to, it's just going to bring up the pride in you because man will stroke your ego. Oh, he will stroke your ego. But remember in him stroking your ego, he'll cut you down too. So all you should be remembering is that everything that you have, everything that you do, is all coming from God for his glory. So now as we jump down to John 12, 44 to 50, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if you hear my words and and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words have has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken my words on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a commandment, what I should say, what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the father has told me, so I speak. So Jesus was saying his disclaimer right here. Look, let me tell you something. And not that he needed a disclaimer because he was who he was, but he was saying, let me tell you something. You don't have to believe in me because when you believe in me, you're actually believing in the one who sent me. You're believing in God. So don't think that I'm doing this of me, that I want everyone to just put the eyes on me like the priests were doing in the synagogue. Jesus was saying, he who sees me sees the one who sent me. So, and I've come to illuminate your eyes so that you'll know what's going on here in this world and not continue to walk in darkness. So anyone who hears my word, I didn't come here to judge you. I didn't come here to judge you. I came here to save the world. I came here to give you these words so that I could save you, not to judge you. And if you reject me and don't receive my words, I'm not judging you. But the word that I spoke will judge you in the last days, meaning that you're going to have to live and take account for everything that I told you. And you don't want to believe that I'm saying to you, then you're going to have to stand before the one who sent me and tell him why you couldn't believe it. 
Because he says, I'm not speaking on my own authority. I'm speaking on the father who sent me here to give me this command to tell you this. So just like when you think about the prophets, and this is why some people always say, oh, Jesus was just a prophet. He was just a teacher. No. Yes, the prophet spoke the word of what God gave them to say. Yes. And Jesus is now saying, yes, I'm not doing it of my own authority, but the father who sent me and gave me a command to do this. But the difference in that is Jesus was saying that from his human side, because he couldn't tell them that, oh, I'm sitting on the right hand of God and this is why. No, he couldn't tell them. The people couldn't even wholly comprehend the fact that he had fed all the multitude with a lunchbox from a little boy. They couldn't comprehend that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They were still oohing and on and is this true or is this not true? So when he said all that, he was like, look, let me just keep it straight for you. This is this is the reason why I'm here. This is the reason why I came. Anything that I'm saying to you is coming straight from the father. So you're going to believe me or you're not going to believe me. But just know this, that those of you who don't believe me, I didn't come here to judge you. But the words that he told me to tell you will judge you in the final days. And that's what we have to remember. Anything I say out my mouth, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to adhere to it. You don't have to do anything. But I am letting you know, and Jesus, like Jesus said, once I let you know, then it's on you. Because it's, it's not like you could say you didn't know, because I told you. Right, what I, what, what I always quote Janet Jackson's, once you know you can't unknow, you can't unknow. So on this day, it's for you to recognize whether you want to know or not. We all have a choice. And that ends our portion of op-ed. Hey, we're in a new month. My time is growing short, but I don't want the time to run out on me without giving you the word of the month. We're in April. And the word of the month is fatigious. I can't even say the word. Oh my gosh. What was this word? I can't even read it. I wrote it so quickly. And this I wrote out. I think it was fatigious. I can't even see my own handwriting. This one I didn't type into my computer. I wrote it out real quick just now, but it means a very attentive, it says very attentive to and concerned about accuracy and detail. I'm going to have to look up this word again, but just know that that's our word for the month. And I'm so sorry that I scribbled it real fast and I don't have time to look it up in the, I'm going to look it up right now. Um, promise of the week is coming from John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And with that, I say, everyone have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Have a just wonderful day and enjoy everything that's going on with you and your family. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself immensely. Let me see if I could get this word so I can look it up real fast so I can pronounce it the right way for you. It's fastidious. That's what I wrote. That's what I wrote. Fastidious. And it means 
very attentive to and concerned about accuracy and detail. So now we know it. I scribbled it. I didn't know what I wrote. I had to look it up again so I could tell you that's our word of the month. So I leave you with an outro song. I'm going to leave you with, as we leave here today, what am I going to play? I'll just play something. Dion Kipping, Let Your Power Fall. Have a wonderful Sunday. God is able. So let your power fall. When your name is called, rule the doubters wrong. You're still mighty and strong. Fight this battle for me. Help my unbelief. So I can tell my friends. You have won again. favorite part of the song is this prove the doubt is wrong you're still my